Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Locum's Live podcast. My name is Tom Hoffman, and today we are very excited to welcome in Dr. Bolton, as he is actually about to jump on a flight, but still taking the time to help us celebrate National Locum Tenants Week. So with that, Dr. Bolton, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to contribute to the conversation. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to start out by just having you give us just a brief introduction about yourself and your background and just find out a little bit more about why you decided to get into the healthcare field. Sure. So I'm 64 years old now. I started practicing about 30 years ago in uh, 1995. And for the first 10 years, I was basically high volume, high acuity emergency medicine, level one trauma centers, busy level twos that were multi-covered. And uh, I was part of a large group at the time called Premier Healthcare. They since got absorbed by Team Health. But uh, we had about, I don't know, 50 contracts at our high point. And I was one of a few guys that they called roamers. Some groups called them firemen. But we were basically locums docs, in effect, in our group that were willing to go to different hospitals. So I've always sort of liked a variety and enjoyed a change of scenery. But I was working a lot. And by a lot, I mean a short month for me was 20 shifts. Sometimes I'd work 25 shifts, uh, which is a lot for an ER doc. And I did this for years. And so toward about year 10, uh, I started burning out. I didn't really understand I was burning out. I was just craving a real change of scenery, meaning outside of Ohio, outside of the group. And so I started going to California where I went to medical school just to do some locum shifts. So those were true locum shifts in the sense that I went to another state and worked at a place I'd never been before. And I learned that for me, that was a good thing. I really enjoyed the change of scenery and the challenge of working in different environments. Uh, and over the course of about a year, maybe so of doing that, I learned about a category of hospitals that I personally had never heard of, critical access hospitals. I'd heard you could work on call to these sites, which I didn't understand because in the ERs I worked in, eventually, long story shorter, I tried it. I went to Northern California and I worked for seven straight days, 168 hours on call as the only doctor in town doing everything, ER hospital, clinic, nursing home. Daunting when I first thought about it, but after I'd done it, I was hooked. It was a great, great way to live and work. And I did both my regular job and frequent sort of critical access hospital locums assignments for about a year. And then finally said, you know, I'm going to do this exclusively. So I resigned from my regular job and just started working the locum shifts. And then within, I don't know, just a few months, they were wanting me to do way more shifts than I could do. So I called friends up that I thought would be open to the idea. And that sort of naturally, without me intending it, really led to me starting a company. And it got actually pretty big over about 10 years. We were in 20 states total and had about 200 providers total working for us. And uh, wow. uh, that company was called Coast to Coast Healthcare. I uh, wanted a break, so I sold it to a friend of mine uh, he was a great guy, still friends with him today in Knoxville, Tennessee. His name is Bob DeVernia. And um, I worked at the VA for about a year just to think things through. And then my wife and I started a second company, Federal Healthcare Services, which is basically like the first one, but we're intentionally keeping it smaller and uh, 
in that sense, I'm enjoying it more. But basically, it's the same thing. We we typically we do some full time contracts. Uh, we have a full time in Idaho that's a great contract. But mostly, what we are is recurring locums. Uh, so we're almost like part of the town and part of the medical staff, and that we go regularly, but we travel some distance to get there in many cases. So uh, it, it's close enough to locums that there's no better way to describe it than locums. But I've been doing that for 20 years, and that's what I'm going to be doing here in a few minutes when we're done with this podcast, flying to Denver to go work in uh, western Nebraska for an 86-hour shift where I'll do ER coverage and uh, inpatient work. A lot of what we do is hybrid of ER and hospitalist work. Some places we do ER, hospitalist, clinic, and even nursing home. It just sort of depends on the volume and the acuity. So that's uh, what I do now and kind of how I ended up there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for giving us that insight to your background. Um, obviously, you you have uh, experienced a ton in your career, you know, from a clinical management and a locums perspective. So I appreciate you getting into that. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, we all know that providers are all different and all of you are faced with different challenges each day that just come naturally with providing patient care uh, for their unique specialties. Um, so with that being said, Dr. Bolden, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you feel is the most important personality trait or strength? Um, and in your case, an ER physician needs to be successful in providing the best care possible for patients. In a word, adaptability. Sure, sure. That's essential. And without it, you can't really survive, let alone provide, uh, thrive. Uh, I um, I spent 15 years in the Air Force as a flight surgeon. And when I first joined the military, I heard this little phrase, a little catchphrase, adapt and overcome. And to be honest, at the time, I thought it was just a big rationalization for how inefficient the military seemed to be to me. But over time, I became convinced that was probably the best philosophy of life I'd ever heard, adapt and overcome. And I came over the course of my career in the military, which started before September 11, and then September 11, and the, the co-pilot of one of the planes that went down, the one in Pennsylvania, was in my Air Force squadron, Lee Homer, so it was really personal for me. And uh, then after that, you know, the Iraq war and so on and so on. And I, I began to realize that the adapt and overcome motto of the military was sort of essential in a large organization that was designed to be ready, ideally, for the maximum chaos we could encounter, which is a war. And while it's not an exact analogy, uh, emergency medicine can be like that. You know, you're going along and things are fine, and then all of a sudden it's chaos. And unless you can instantly adapt to that, triage appropriately, not lose your mind in the process and not kill anybody in the process, then you're not going to survive in emergency medicine. And a sort of a parallel problem, really, in emergency medicine is the better you get in the sense that you've got experience and you've learned more just from constant education, the more you're at risk for believing that you've got it. And there's enough times when you realize you didn't have it because you're surprised and we all have those stories we could tell them all day long that the overall message to me anyway in my career is the the central priority i have is to keep my mind open and not get locked into what the military particularly in aviation we call channelized thinking 
sort of the what what's a mountain goat doing way up here in a cloud bank question that the pilot asked on the far side cartoon <laughs> you know sure obviously you're not in a cloud bank you're at the top of a mountain you're getting ready to fly into and uh so i would say summing up adaptability and in the context of delivering customer service obviously you've got to be competent you got to know what you're doing and without that you're not going to be invited back but you need to do basic stuff. You need to do your charts on time, so on and so on. But if you can't adapt to the community in which you're actually working as a locum stock and recognize that you're really a guest in their home, whether the home is the town or the hospital or both, you know, every hospital has its own unique culture. And while they may not doing may not be doing things the way you're used to or the way you would like, somehow they've survived for the last 50, 100 years without you. And they're probably going to survive going forward without you. And so the polite, right thing to do is to adapt to their culture and just try to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So adaptability is key. Yeah, that makes sense. And and first off, thank you for your service in the Air Force. Um, you know, I, I'm actually a huge aviation nerd, so I have a, a huge respect for what you guys do. Um, and I and I do love that that motto that you you know has obviously stuck with you: adapt and overcome. Um, you know, you were mentioning that from more of a work perspective, but I can see that being you know um, being able to to also be applicable to just life in general. Yes, and the travel in emergency or not in emergency medicine, but in locum work, like I. I, I can think back to the first time I worked a locum shift and, you know, I, I was in the Air Force at the time and my wife, uh, flight attendant, 35 years with Delta, you know, so it wasn't, I don't know, unknown to me, but the first time I'm actually getting ready to board a plane, go somewhere I've never been, work in a state I've never worked, uh, work with people I've never met. And uh, it, it was a little daunting to me. Now it's just part of my life. It's uh I just get up, I get on the Airbus, so to speak, and ride nice. the Airbus wherever, you know, jump on a rental car, drive it to wherever, and then I, I work. Just part of my life. I don't even give it a second thought. But it, I can remember when, when it wasn't that common and where it was a little bit stressful. And so what you guys do, what the locums industry does, if you do it well, is dial down a little bit of that stress by just taking care of these people that are out there doing a very difficult thing in all kinds of weather and day or night, you know, and dealing with plane delays and rental car snafus and the locums industry, if it does it well and cross country does it well, uh, just supporting people and, and making it as easy as you can. It's not easy on the best day, but making it as easy as you can for your providers is a real value added piece of the whole process. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. We, we most definitely like to hear that. And, you know, obviously, you know, just in the 10 or so minutes that we've been talking, it's, it's obvious the experience that you have uh, in the industry. So, you know, I'm sure you provided care to hundreds, if not thousands uh, of different patients in different patient care settings, like you alluded to. Um, I, I do like to ask this of all the providers that we have on the podcast, but it's definitely one of my favorite questions to ask. And I just wanted to, to see if you have any experiences that have stood out, you know, in terms of patient care, where you truly feel like you've made a difference in a patient or a family's life. And if you do have that, if you have had that experience, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing one of those. Sure. Yeah, I've got a bunch of them, but I can think of one uh, that I like to share because it's a good story and it's a good teaching story as well. So, you know, the sort of the myth in emergency medicine is we save lives, right? Um, 
And uh, I say it's a myth because most of the time, the people that actually save the lives are not me. It's the first responders, the policemen, the firemen, the medics that are out there, you know, dealing with God knows what in a recent situation. It could have been a stabbing, a gunshot, a car accident. And, you know, they could be dealing with somebody dying right in front of them, half stuck uh, under a car in a ditch that's half full of water. You know, just stuff that by the time I get them, you know, I'm dealing with the person with all the right equipment, good lighting, a lot of support staff. So comparing what I do to what the first responders do is there's no comparison. They really save the lives. Now, that said, if I'm not really stupid, I'm probably not going to make it worse and I might make it better when they get to me. Right. But there have been a few situations where I've actually saved the life was hours old. So it was to me a true save. And the story was I was in Arizona working uh, on the border in this town called Nogales, uh, which is south of Tucson. And uh, I went in to do a night shift. I generally preferred to do night shifts my whole career. And uh, so they're busy when you start, typically less busy when you end. So you kind of feel like you're accomplishing something and less administrative nonsense. You can just take care of patients. I get an interesting mix of patients, so and so on. So I really like night shifts. And um, anyway, so I come in and this little girl had already been born on the Mexican side of the border. She had thick meconium, meaning uh, the baby it's crude, but poops inside the womb and floats around in it. And it makes it harder for them to breathe because they're breathing that when they're born, when they stop receiving nutrients from the placenta and through the umbilical cord. So this little girl had lots of meconium and had breathed it in and was having respiratory difficulty. And so they intubated her, meaning they put a tube down her trachea to give her 100% oxygen. And she was already all packaged and sitting there when I got there waiting to go to Tucson Medical Center, which was the place where we transferred pediatric patients. So my role was just, hey, here she is, be aware, she's getting ready to fly to Tucson. So I had all these busy, all these patients, it was very busy. And, you know, so I'm taking care of everybody, trying to get caught up. And about, I don't know, 20 minutes into my shift, the nurse comes to me and says, hey, this little girl's not doing so well, doc, her oxygen level's dropping and she's starting to turn gray. And I went and looked at her and sure enough, she was. And I'm like, well, maybe she popped the lung because sometimes, particularly with little ones, you're bagging them by hand because you don't want to put them on a machine because you might pop a lung. And with the sensitivity of a person, you're less likely to do that. But even then, sometimes it'll pop a lung, meaning, you know, the pressure will burst the lung and it will develop a leak. So I had them do a quick x-ray. I didn't see any evidence of that. I listened and I could hear diminished but bilateral breath sounds, which... I couldn't understand why her sat was dropping. And so basically, she's just slowly dying right in front of me. Thought it through, and I thought, you know, the only thing that I can do here is to extubate her, which is not your typical action, right? Because the tube is down there to help her, right? But I thought, you know, we can bag her if we have to, meaning put a good seal over her mouth, and then I can think it through again. So I made the decision to extubate her, and as soon as we extubated her, Instantly, she was cured. And what had happened is the tube that had be- was her life-saving tube had become a death device because that thick meconium, the poop that was floating around in the womb, had solidified and completely clogged the tube. So nothing would go through it anymore. 
And uh, so pulling it out actually saved her life. And uh, she ended up getting transferred to Tucson and hopefully is a beautiful young woman married with kids. Point of the story, other than it's a good story, and it actually was an example of, quote, saving someone's life, is it was an anti-intuitive way to do it. And it illustrates that point I was mentioning earlier about you've got to keep your mind open in emergency medicine because uh, sometimes things are not as they appear. And uh, it happens as off, often enough that it's an essential part of your thought process if you're if you're really going to be a good physician. Every time I go to work, and I mean every time, 100% of the time, and I've done it for 30 years, uh, I pray that God will help me not harm a patient, that he will help me treat people with respect, and that he will help me remember that I treat people, but he actually heals them. And for me, and it's not like everybody has to think the way I do or believe the way I do, but for me, that is essential to retaining that, I don't know, humility sounds self-contratulatory, but that, for lack of a better way of saying it, that the humility you need in a, I don't know, you know, a real life day-to-day sense to remember that you, you at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to do it without help. And that can be the team that you're working with, uh, which are essential. You know, everybody that helps you uh, is an important part of the process. And, uh, you know, you start thinking that you're it and it's all about you, then you're just going to do something dumb and it's going to hurt somebody. No, that makes perfect sense. And and again, I really do appreciate you, um, you know, telling us that story. It's one, like I said, it's one of my favorite questions to ask because we have all these um, amazing experiences that you guys share with us that we're that we're grateful for. So I really appreciate that. And you know, sh- shifting gears a little bit back to locums, uh, I know that you've been working with one of our recruiters, Heather Garza, for a while. And I just wanted to see, you know, how has working with Heather and CCL been as a whole throughout your specific locums experience? Uh, it's great. You know, and it's great largely because of Heather, not to disrespect CCL, but, uh, you know, she is CCL to me because that's who I work with. And, uh, you know, Heather's nice, competent, pays attention to detail, uh, you know, clearly cares about people beyond just her job. And uh, that's amazing to hear. You know, she is extremely, extremely good at what she does. And like you mentioned, she's a, this is, I know firsthand that she's extremely detail oriented. And she represents CCL so well, and and we're incredibly lucky to have her. So that's that's uh, great to hear. And and Dr. Bolton, uh, unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what advice would you give providers that are interested in taking the jump to try a locums assignment for the first time? You obviously have extensive experience, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, when I'm selling it from the perspective of my company, the way I do it is is say, look, this this doesn't have to fundamentally change your life. It's just a change of scenery that will extend your longevity in your regular job. And you should leverage what you have, which is this skill that very few people have, that when you get a state license, essentially gives you a limited monopoly to to be paid well to do what you do within the borders of that state. So leverage that to your advantage. And what do I mean by that? Well, where would you and your spouse or your significant other like to go? Where would you like to take your family? And 
work that into the locum assignment. So you on the front end or the back end might be able to have a family vacation that your assignment pays for, you know, and uh, just remember that you can do it once or twice a year. You don't have to do it every month. You don't have to quit your regular job, change the scenery that you get. And also there's a real benefit to what I call cross-pollination, right? You'll learn things from sites you work at that you can bring back to the site where you spend most of your time and vice versa. You know, you'll bring things to them that maybe they'll learn from. So it's uh, it's a good process. It keeps your mind flexible. It keeps you younger, in my opinion. And uh, it gives you a way to make money uh, and incorporate travel to interesting places, which not everybody can do, right? Um, yeah. It's a unique ability of a, a specialized provider like a physician uh, to be able to choose to do that. So I would encourage everybody to to do it some just because uh, it makes your life more interesting. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And, you know, I've heard that from a lot of providers that I speak with, you know, in terms of, you know, the work-life balance, the, you know, ability to travel with family, you know, on assignment is huge. And then as well as the experience gained that they take back to their um, you know, their, their regular um, facilities. So you, you kind of hit all those points uh, from what I hear in terms of why people choose to work locums. And you even mentioned the the financial part of it too, which is obviously huge. Um, so I think that's great advice. I really appreciate that. Sure. Well, Dr. Bolton, uh, I know that you are getting ready to get on a flight, uh, so I will let you get to it. But thank you so much again for, you know, everything that you do for CCL and obviously the patients that you serve every day. Um, it really was a pleasure speaking with you, getting to know you a little bit more, and I hope you have a very happy National Locum Tenants Week. Thanks, Tom. I enjoyed talking with you, too, and uh, enjoy working with Cross Country Locum. 